Hey everybody, welcome back to the Salmon Trout Sea Letter Podcast. I'm Lucas Holmgren, and I'm going to be reading an article from SalmonTroutSteelheader.com. And by the way, uh, you can uh, just get instant access uh, to to the online magazine Salmon Trout Steelheader, and the issue there, you can pull it up on a phone, tablet, computer, just in your browser, and then literally click the little headphone button and it'll read it to you kind of like a podcast and the AI voice is actually pretty good it's actually nice to listen to so it's it was pretty cool pulling that up on my cell phone and just you know listening to Nick Amato's editorial while I was doing some cleaning so I was able to actually like listen to the magazine and so that was kind of nice you know and obviously the podcast audio format when people are working and driving and such it's an it's an effective one, and while um, you know salmon trout steelheader certainly you know we love the print and we've you know done it for decades, um, but just kind of with the you know current situation and how things uh, are going as far as like magazine rack sales and stores, which are certainly not not as strong as they used to be and such. Um, so the the magazine is available online, and it actually is really it's a nice format that's fun and immersive to read through it doesn't feel like you're on a website or anything like that so uh anyway with that said definitely get that checked out you know the the magazine issue itself but also not only that salmontroutsteelheader.com just has all these excellent articles you know past articles that have gone up and this is one that was put up uh tony amato put it up uh, January 8th, he put it up on the website, salmontroutsteelheader.com. And it's called Steelheading, A Perfect Asylum by Timothy Merritt. So it's got this picture of a beautiful, you know, winter buck with red blush on the sides and kind of a emerald green with black spotting on it and, you know, big fish. Um, and it starts like this. I could see the gigantic steelhead in the shallow clear water that fringed this jade green pool. This great river dial flowed wild over this timeless round boulders. It was a buck and he was angry. It seemed as he eyed me for a distinct moment. I did not understand then. He wasn't acting as if he was concerned about being hooked. I reeled in, straightening and tightening the line. Twelve pound test, much too light for such a big fish. I was trying to be smooth to maybe coax the fish into being peaceable, and perhaps to gently surrender himself and slip up onto the shallow beach for me. And as a quick side note, I did a podcast about this and have written about it, about landing bigger steelhead, and it's a it's a kind of situation where you hook one of these fish, and even with heavier rods, you know, they're medium-heavy, power and such, uh, these fish are essentially controlling the conversation. So this article that I'm reading is kind of an interesting perspective because that was his hopes to kind of coax it in. But then it says, abruptly my optimism vanished when my rod was nearly jerked from my hands. The fish had turned in a flash and was streaking to the bottom of the pool where it began to cartwheel violently trying to dislodge my hook. So that little moment, everything can be going good and all of a sudden that fish turns, and that's why you don't want to have your drag cranked, because a giant fish like that can all of a sudden, within two little tail kicks, just break a light leader or even a you know medium leader. So uh, certainly identify with this article. I I like the uh, you know kind of the verbiage that this writer brings to it. So it says, 
I could see down into the greenish pool where the huge silver fish appeared to be gold. A golden strobe. Flashing golden light up from the jade green depth. This was a very dangerous time. The death roll, some fishing guides called it. Many fish freed themselves performing the death roll. I eased the pressure on the fish, then it responded by swimming to the surface so fast it blasted through in a reverse shower of diamond bright droplets. A million of them. It appeared to me that the fish was now swimming up through the air intending to leave the planet. I know my mouth was hanging open. I was stunned by the impossible size of the steelhead and the astounding height to which he soared. Upon re-entry, the great fish knifed down into the river with barely a splash, rocketing upstream, angry and violent as a rank rodeo bull. I had to run over the bowling ball-sized rocks, awkward and slipping, holding the rod as high aloft as I could, trying to keep up with the freight train of a fish. I felt a familiar hopelessness settling into my chest. Panic still possessed my heart, but experience told me that it was but a matter of moments before the fish was gone. You see, I had hooked such fish before. I sort of resigned myself then and there to accept the inevitable. That being, of course, the familiar heartbreaking snap of the leader. And this is where I must pause here. And we are so lucky these days to have incredible fluorocarbons available that if you're in the proximity of 20-pound steelhead trophy fish, you need to be sized up for those fish. I've got a friend, Jeff. Talked to him today. He's a great drift fisherman and float fisherman, spoon fisherman. And he and my buddy Gavin Hall, basically, they say they don't fish for line shy fish. And they're going for that biggest fish. So, in my experience, though, you can run 15, 17, 20 pound fluorocarbon and actually be very successful in low clear water. So, I know it's different for the Great Lakes and it's largely about diameter, but in these cases with these big steelhead, do not go too light of a leader. You should not be breaking a leader. If you're losing a fish, it should just be coming out, you know, the hook coming unpopped or something. You know, that's should be a rarity with the fluorocarbon that we have now. So, there would be a sudden surreal dizziness as hope drained in a single flush and was replaced by an unsavory mixture of confused emotion. This would signal the depressing reality that I had lost another great, or perhaps two great fish. Strangely, just about the moment I began to relax and as it were accept the inevitable, the great fish slowed down. In fact, he stopped just short of spooling me. I reeled in line as I walked upstream cautiously over the slippery rocks, expecting at any moment another explosion of steelhead fury. The line grew taut as I walked upstream toward the fish. I kept reeling, regaining as much line as possible, anticipating another screaming run at any instant. I could feel the fish, a strong, slow thumping, the momentous tail sweep of the huge steelhead, and it was the silver heartbeat of the river. I felt as though I had just emerged from a musty subterranean existence that was stifling and fraught with anxiety into a realm of air and light, a different plane that vibrated in peace, deep and fluid, silent yet moving. I became aware that everything around me was throbbing with that same rhythm. Around me the forest was glistening and bright. Each boulder reflected a myriad of astonishing color. The river was luminous, breathtakingly beautiful in its shimmering grace.
I became conscious of the spirit of the fish itself, and my own heart swelled with gratitude and such spontaneous joy that I burst out laughing. The thankfulness for everything I saw and felt, the comfort and common sense. No, the sanity of this natural world was such a relief to me, such a pleasure. It was Coltrane's Love Supreme. There's a little reference to John Coltrane, I would imagine. I felt a prayerful posture possess me. I realized that greater consciousness for the natural world is greater appreciation, is greater thankfulness. It was an understanding that so possessed me, that so overwhelmed me. It was universal love and it radiated everywhere, even right down to the line that connected me to the fish. In fact, it may have started from that end. Thereafter, the fish fight was strenuous, yes, and clumsy at times, but non-violent. The fish knew, and I knew, that I would release him, and so I did, after measuring his girth and length, and I say patiently because he endured those clumsy efforts of mine with a calm, even stately demeanor. He didn't flop about, and hence didn't injure himself. He knew. He followed my every movement with his eye. I have always described steelhead as superconscious creatures, more light and energy than matter, more spirit than substance. My wife, Lupe, would joke that it didn't matter then, we had no substance to eat. There's a little side note in the article. Uh, but this fish was something else, and I'm not referring only to his giant size. Then I released him and watched as he raced to the bottom of the pool. I realized that I had truly encountered an emissary from the very soul of wilderness sent to enlighten and soothe my tortured soul. Yep, I told my wife, one doesn't go out and merely catch a steelhead. It is truer to say that a steelhead comes into one's life and then takes it over for a while. So that's a pretty cool article, uh, just recounting the experience of a big steelhead and kind of what it do, what what it does, and what it can do to change your day. Um, that whole experience, you know, you've got a little bit of terror because you know this fish is bigger than normal, and they are controlling the conversation in the fight. And with those big fish, I prefer not to just go crazy, you know, putting the wood to them. I would prefer to keep my line tight and make sure that I'm, you know, fully connected to the fish and not at risk of having that hook come out, but kind of let them do what they need to do and then make subtle expert moves and move some weight when, when necessary. But... You know, one advantage that center pin anglers have is that variable drag using their fingers. So one of the things is, is when you are fighting a big steelhead and you're getting it up close, they can turn and run just like this article said. And with a, with a few kicks of the tail, they can be zooming off at an incredible speed. They're the fastest freshwater fish. So if you put that type of weight and that speed against a leader, it can easily break if it's too light so go in with heavier line when these big fish are around and then doing what you can to get them in surprisingly setting the hook hard tightening down your drag and just horsing the fish is not always the fastest way to get them in often it can extend the fight because the fish just fights with all its might whereas if if you can fight it for a bit get a good hook set in and then kind of let it relax a touch Sometimes those fish will just kind of move to the middle of the pool and hold, and then you've got to kind of pull them out of there. But they won't necessarily go on blistering runs as much after they've kind of settled back in during the fight. 
and then getting them in, having waders on, keeping them in the water. If you're going to do a quick measure on certain fish, you know, don't measure every single fish, but if you got a personal best and you can take the time to measure it, like I use the uh, uh, addicted landing nets that work really well. And uh, speaking of which, I did a addicted video, or actually two recently. One was a one was a video with Jordan Kanigi on the addicted YouTube channel of uh, he and I trying to find cutthroat trout and ended up hooking a bunch of coho on ultralight rods. I was fishing my daughter's uh, little pink talon rod and my Lama glass like two to six pound X11 ultralight. It was fun. Um, and then I did another one with uh, Marlon Lefevre about reading reading water for steelhead. And a lot of you listeners, this may be information you know well, but it is a good one to kind of listen to and get some perspective on, you know, how you approach holding water in buckets and kind of dropping, dragging your baits and dropping them right into depth and, you know, some of those tricks. So some uh, cool content over there as always. And uh, yeah, I'm on those two episodes. So uh, other than that, I appreciate it. That article is on the salmontroutsteelheader.com website, which you can go to and read a number of articles. I also really like going on glangler.com. Those guys are incredible writers, and that website is stacked to the brim with amazing information on open water fishing for salmon and steelhead, walleye, bass, but not only that, tributary river information, which I think really is something that we need to take a page from the Great Lakes here in the Northwest. If we do get super cold temperatures and our fish get lethargic, that's when some of those Great Lakes techniques can really come in handy. And so something to keep an eye out for. I always like, uh, you know, picking Roger Hinchcliffe's brain on some of the stuff he does over there. And, uh, you know, just we've passed great techniques back and forth up to Canada. There's the internet now, so techniques are everywhere. There's some cool stuff to do. And so, you know, you can take a page from other people's books. You know, these are the same species of winter steelhead, summer steelhead. They call them scamanias over there. There's some of those, but, you know, primarily winter steelhead that have separated into spring and fall runs as opposed to kind of running throughout winter and into spring. Uh, due to the ice out there, and those fish were planted, hatchery egg fish brought over there, and they have naturalized to the environments and temperatures of the Great Lakes. It's a pretty incredible thing. So, if you are reading up on fishing, one thing that can give you an advantage uh, for stealth and really uh, putting putting baits effectively into the zone, especially in slower water situations, cold temperatures, things like that, Great Lakes folks have a lot to offer, so if you're a Pacific Northwest guy, I would encourage you to go to glangler.com. You subscribe to the magazine there, it's, it's incredible what they have. Also some phenomenal walleye articles and Chinook trolling articles, things like that. It's, it's cool stuff. So anyway, thanks again guys. Uh, it's been a fun little snowy, icy time around here, but you know, finally got out, played a show with the Boomala Brothers. At, in Portland at the Ponderosa, and the roads were looking pretty good uh, up, you know, there, and then up where I'm at in southwest Washington. So we're going to start to get after it. I've got a fun trip coming up. Can't wait to tell you about. We're going to do a podcast uh, with someone you may have heard before on this podcast. Uh, 
yeah, hopefully we're going to be getting together with Keith Johnson and Andrew Chanel. We're going to be doing some steelhead fishing, so I'm going to make sure we record a podcast for you folks. Keith is a wealth of information. If you go check him out on Instagram, Kfish Johnson, Kfish Guide, something like that, you'll find him. Monster fish. Uh, a lot of fun to fish with. Uh, you know, my kind of drift boat, energy, steelhead angler. It's fun. So, anyway, guys, good luck. Send in your catches to Salmon Trout Steelheader customer service at amatobooks.com and you can get them in the magazine or on Facebook and such and just tell them the podcast sent you and that you would like to send one of your catches in and then we could get it in the hog pen on the magazine. It it works especially well if you send a caption. So I would do that. Just tell them, hey, the podcast told me to submit this for the hog pen. Here's me and my daughter with an 18-pound Chinook, you know, from July of last year, you know, at Bowie 10 or whatever, you know, something like that. If you want to submit them, we'd love to see them. Love to see your catches. All right, guys, take care. Talk soon.